97X, The Future of Rock and Roll. That was English Beat with Save It for Later. We also heard Bob Mould's band, Sugar, and we got things underway with another Sugar band, The Sugar Cubes. Uh, some new music's coming out today. It's New Tunes Tuesday. Uh, new Lemonheads doing a cover of Mrs. Robinson. You don't want to miss some Jason and the Scorchers. Nah. And also new Blasters. Nah. Ooh. Fantastic band, Dave. Blasters. Dave. Yeah, Phil Dave. Alvin and the gang, yeah. Or Earth mm-hmm. to Dave. No. Yeah. It's not even Tuesday, but if it were, it would be a new tunes Tuesday. However, um, our 97X days are long past, brother. I mean, we're talking decades. But the good news is we, we, we do a podcast called 97X Rumblings from the Big Bush. We try to relive those happy, those halcyon yeah. days of great people and great music, not necessarily in that order when I'm looking at you. But the good news is, Dave, wow. you, you conjure... You conjure up people from that era as well, people from the past. And we have the gentleman who is more behind the scenes, the publisher of City Beat for pretty much its entire existence, Mr. Dan Bockrath. He's joining us. Dan, how are you? Hey, Dave. Hey, Damien. Great to be here. I had asked if you were at Everybody's News, because I know Everybody's News was a bit of a predecessor to City Beat, and John Fox was there, and John Fox and Mike Breen from Everybody's, and then City Beat would come up to Oxford, to the station, and be on the air and talk about local music. But you didn't have a connection to Everybody's News, but you started at City Beat. Is that correct? Right. So I, I was not part of everybody's news, but that there is a connection there to how things got started. And I'll, I'll share the story real quick. So at the time I was living in, in San Diego and I had gotten into the alternative weekly business through my association with the San Diego Reader. I ran their classifieds department in the days of um, pre-classified ads and voice personals, uh, you know, Damn you, Craigslist. Damn you, Match.com. Uh, <laughs> you know, we unfortunately we were mostly small enterprises, so we didn't have the resources to compete in the digital age. You know, when when I wrote the business plan with John, there was no such thing as a website. You know, it wasn't even part of the business plan. Um, but I digress. I I had entertained the notion of coming back home, and I grew up in Dayton, Ohio, and I kind of wondered, well, is there something like the Reader in Dayton or Cincinnati? So when I was home for the holidays one year, I, I, I think I was on short vine. I don't remember, but I came across everybody's news and I saw John Fox was the editor. So I just kind of reached out to him out of the blue and said, hey, you want to grab lunch? I'd, I'd like to you know meet you, learn a little bit more about what you're doing. That led to an introduction to their publisher, and that led to about a one-year discussion negotiation whatever you want to call it romance about, is what we want to call yeah it. me coming on board in a um in a uh, meaningful capacity long story short things uh ended up not working out um but i had formed a relationship with john and i, I really liked where he was coming from i just said well i like my life in san diego and you know life goes on six months later he gives me a call and says, uh, one of my writers introduced me to a man who wants to invest in a new startup. And I'm like, oh, really? I said, well, a startup's a little bit different than a going concern, but I'm listening. I came back out and he basically said, he said to me, you're moving to Cincinnati. You know, and, and John's not necessarily known as like a demanding person. If you know John, he's about as easy going as they come. But that conversation, he told me I was moving to Cincinnati. <laughs> So I came back and I met the investor in the summer 
I moved back in September and we started the first issue in November of 1994. It came together that fast. Wow. And then he brought, you know, Mike Breen and some of the writers over from everybody's news because they were loyal to the relationship uh, with, with John and they were, they were um, on board with our vision to what um, uh, an alternative weekly um, media company and newspaper would look like. And I think it was it was not it was it was more consistent with their values than where they were at, and and I, and clearly the marketplace spoke up because within a few years everybody's news that had folded and and we had become more well established. So that's the story. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of parallels I feel like between and, and we you mentioned Dan McCabe. I know he's a friend of yours. So between the clubs. 97X as a radio station, and then City Beat as the journalism to help promote the music scene. That's right. synergy. So talk about that a little bit. So, you know, one of, it was very important to us to, to I think the first media partnership I sought out was with 97X. Um, you know, we had to build an audience from scratch. So we had to find, you know, like-minded audiences and, and clearly, the listeners of Waxy were 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 people who we felt would have an interest in what it is that we were doing. Um, so very early on, I had, I had reached out and ended up connecting with Doug Baylog, and uh, and uh, we we did basically a, a promotional swap. You know, he gave me airtime on the station, and I ran ads in the paper, and it was a way to promote ourselves to that audience. Just a quick aside, I, one of the things that impressed me about Doug was how, how um, absolutely protective he was of the 97X brand. And I actually learned a lot from him because of that. You know, I think one of the reasons that Waxy had such a dedicated and loyal audience is he, he, did, he was very selective about who he partnered with. And uh, in fact, I, I was all about like, let's co-promote some shows, you know, we'll sponsor some shows at the Southgate house. And he was not interested in that. He was, he was very, uh, that integrity of, of the Waxy brand was very important. And I took that to heart. And I think I, I used some of that knowledge that I gained to build the, um, uh, to build the City Beat brand and, and be selective with partnerships that we approached. But um, when it came to music coverage, you know, one of the, the core values of City Beat was to always to make a difference in the community, and and arts and culture played a big part in that. And we always used to say, if because of City Beat's existence, one more person voted in a local election, um, or went to a, a, a movie or a, or an art opening, or saw a band they never heard of before, then we're doing our part to make a difference. And obviously, championing championing local arts and culture was a big part of, of that that piece. And uh, music, in my view, because that's really why I got into the business, was the heart and soul of it. And then the fact that we had an established music writer and music critic that was already respected and credible in the community in the in the name of Mike Breen really enhanced that. So really, that was the jumping off point. But promoting local music and independent bands was part of our MO from volume one, issue one. Yeah, it's very cool. And I think it's interesting, and Dave and I have talked about this before. So if people that listen to 97X by nature are open to trying new things, they're receptive to new stuff, 
obviously music, but I think that same sort of mindset was why you reached out in the first place to Doug, because it's like, they're going to go to a show, they're going to go to a play, they're going to check out a new movie that they maybe are taking a flyer on, they don't know much about it. But it's like, I'm, it's new, it's different, let me check it out. Right, well, we took a lot of pride in, in um, you know, one of our goals, and this was kind of, this was kind of true of the all-weekly industry in general, was, you know, turning people on to some really cool shit, you know, stuff maybe they'd not ever heard of before. Like everyone knows about the Taste of Cincinnati and the WEBN fireworks, but there was so much amazing stuff going on that was just, you know, kind of out of the mainstream and, and not known to a lot of people. And, and we wanted to be known as the authority of all things really cool. We wanted to turn you on to stuff, whether it was a, a band who was coming to town that maybe you hadn't heard of before, or an indie film or something along those lines, or maybe a, a food event that was, was just not, you know, or, or a restaurant that was like a Vietnamese restaurant that, you know, and, and, and that was born of the same mindset that, you're, that you share, that our, our audience was open-minded and enlightened and willing to try new things. So there's definitely a symbiotic relationship there, and I think that that made for a good partnership between the station and, and City Beat. So you were the publisher. Most folks would remember if they listened to 97X, John Fox and Mike Breen coming up and being on the station. But like editor right. versus publisher, if you could break that down for us so we understand sure. that. Sure. Uh, the simplest way to put it is is John, as the editor, uh, oversaw and managed all of the content. So he worked with the writers, the other editors, and, and, um, and, and he was responsible for the, the content side. And my job was the business side, marketing, promotions, advertising, circulation, production, basically everything but the content. So we were, we were basically co-publishers and I was the co-publisher general manager. He was the co-publisher editor. And that kind of helped us establish the, the church and state thing. And there was kind of a level of mutual respect. You know, I stayed out of his business, but we would talk about ideas and opportunities and vice versa. So we used each other as sounding boards, but we trusted one another to, uh, to, to do the right thing and, uh, and to grow the, the publication and grow. The, the important thing was to us, it was all about the audience, all about our readers and making that connection and, and what, what would best serve the audience. And that's why we established a level of trust that wasn't willing to be compromised. Believe me, we lost, we lost advertisers. I'll just use restaurants as an example. Um, uh, that, uh, you know, just, just an indifferent review, uh, would cause an advertiser to call us and pull their advertising. And, and, you know, we, we had to take that risk. We, we weren't going to write a favorable review in, in exchange for, um, the promise of, of buying ads in the publication. And I think that's what kind of set us apart from some of the other smaller papers that were willing to to trade editorial content, you know, favorable coverage for, for ad revenue. So we, we, we stuck to our guns in that regard. And, and I think that was, uh, that really helped us establish a, a, what I thought was a pretty loyal and dedicated audience. And, and it helped us in the uh, ensuing years when, when um, I don't get too far ahead of myself, but when the Enquirer launched their manufactured weekly entertainment paper, our audience pretty easily discern the difference between our authenticity and their their manu their manufactured product. 
You know, I, I saw a, a rise with 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 City Beat, with 97X, uh, and some of the other you know some shows on Wave. Um, I saw people getting together and and, and creating a, a I don't want to say a different society, but but a whole group that I want to say legitimized it. We were able to do business. We were able to grow. Uh, and, and it was really City Beat as one of the main catalysts. That's where you could go to the ads. You could see, oh, I could get something at Sentiments. I could go to uh, see this show at Southgate House. Oh, I had no idea they were coming to Top Cats. Um, and it, it, it really created a community uh, that, that the city really needed. Absolutely. Well, we, we uh, one are one of our this uh, since the industry's on such decline now. But back in the heyday, one of the secret sauces of a, an alternative weekly was uh, ads as content. A lot of people picked up our people picked up our paper as much for the ads as they did the article. You know, they would turn to they would look for that Bogarts ad right away. Uh, they would look and see who was playing at the Southgate House or Top Cats or. Um, um, oh, what was Kevin Blum, Ripley's, you know, places yeah. like that. Uh, and the ads for sentiments or, or wizards or things like yeah. that. So the, the, the ads as content model really served us well in terms of building uh, relationships and building community with uh, our audience and like-minded audiences. So I think, I think that did, you know, elevate the audience participation and, and businesses saw some growth as a result of that because they could find the Sudsies ad in City Beat and hear about a Sudsy show on Waxy and and uh, and then it became kind of a thing, you know, like where are we going to hang out, you know, and yep. and uh, and uh, that was really cool, you know, in the in the late '90s and throughout the uh, early 2000s, especially well, in a marketplace like Cincinnati where you've got it was literally you know beholden to WLW and and just conventional conservative uh you know uh, uh where what's the right word just you know uh, provincialism you know very slow to change but there there was a very strong undercurrent of uh independent forward-thinking uh people especially when you think about you know the the, the branding you know you've got p and g and all these wonderful branding companies so you've got all these creative people in the marketplace just starving for content and starving for things to do and and absolutely disgusted by you know the the conservative you know reputation of the city that they lived in you know and richard florida spoke to that struggle that that could be a whole nother conversation but you know i think that you know city b Waxy, wnku were catalysts to the movement that that brought about the the emergence of over the rhine and the urban growth that we've seen and and the embracing of you know, arts and culture as as a as an attraction to city versus, dear Lord, the Cincinnati Bengals or Skyline Chili. <laughs> Don't knock it. Don't knock Skyline. You will have people with pitchforks and torches outside your door. Oh, I love Skyline. The Simpsons <laughs> love Skyline, obviously. Yeah, uh, so, yeah very much so. Dan, I did want to talk about one great event that City Beat started, which was Midpoint Music Festival, or what was your involvement in that? Sure. So um, uh, we, um, we acquired Midpoint Music Festival from the founders in 2008. 
So uh, as, as, as most people know the story, uh, Bill Donabedian and Sean Riney started Midpoint in 2001. And they had their model and vision for the festival and, and carried that torch for seven years. By the time 2008 came around, you know, Bill was running Fountain Square, Sean was in law, and, you know, this, this, uh, this music festival thing I th became, I think, just more than it, they had, it had outgrown them and they had moved on. And since we were the media partner for the entire time, you know, they approached us about the acquisition. And at the time, we were in the you know throes of dealing with the Enquirer's Sin Weekly, and one of the things that John and I agreed upon was you know we are not going to yield our leadership position in arts and culture, and especially when it comes to music, to to them. And so it made the acquisition um, you know kind of a simple business decision. Uh, it turned out to be you know <laughs> you know. We bit off more than we could chew maybe i don't know it's it, it's you know getting into the music festival business in 2008 seemed yeah. like you know with kind of an established model and and some brand equity was something we can build on uh at the time dan was on board our, our staff as our marketing director and you know we talked to him about you know would he be able to you know book the talent so um, we put the deal together. Of course, 2008 was the year everything went into hell in a handbasket. But by the time that happened, we were already, you know, the, 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 the cows were out of the barn. So yeah. um, our model was a little bit different. We kept the club model um, as as showcase venue. But the, the main difference between our model and our predecessor's model was bringing in um, signed decks. So... Um, um, you know, they had kept it all independent, unsigned bands. Uh, we we added, in addition to local music, you know, regional artists, emerging regional artists, and then Dan leveraged his connections, the relationships from the days of of Sudsies and Southgate House, as his in his his alter ego Thigmatrope, and um, was able to access uh, through some of these agencies some up and coming talent. Uh, a lot of talent that you would listen to on Waxy. Um, but, um, you know, we started bringing in some national bands that, uh, that really took the festival to the next level. Um, uh, Dan was wonderful at getting talent for a very reasonable price. And um, so he was very good at negotiating. We, we, if I, if I, I can't remember too many of them now, but a lot of the acts that we wanted to get that we had to pass on that would have blown people's minds. We just couldn't afford. So yeah. we, we just had to kind of stay within the budget. But it, it just took off in 2008 and for those next several years as we kind of reinvented it every year. And, and our, our, our um, tagline was sort of our, our, our um, unofficial tagline was, you know, discover your new favorite band. And part of the fun, and I think, Damien, you can speak to this, of, of Midpoint, it was like being on a treasure hunt. You know, you just you're just out in it, and and you know, and this was kind of pre the pre digital era. So you really, you, it was really all about the discovery and the adventure and walking into a club and like holy shit, you know, Larry and his flask, some band from Portland that played the drinkery that that I had never heard of before was it was one of my all time favorite shows. Um, uh, so that made the event really special for. For our like-minded audiences, and and uh, 
and uh, that that was a really fun ride while it lasted. Yeah, that era, that era of midpoint reminded me of the times when I went in the early '90s to South by Southwest. You you know, yes, pre digital. You you walked into a club and were like, wow, they're great. Or walking to a club and going, okay, I'm going to the next one. I'm glad I got my wristband. But that's <laughs> that's where the editorial of City Beat came in because, like you said, from the very beginning, you were kind of the media sponsor. And, and just, I know the music staff, Mike Breen and his crew, with exhaustive type of work to do a write-up about every band at every venue. And it yes. was great for somebody like me to just read, and it's like, oh, well, they, you know, kind of sound like this. Or it's, you know, you'd get enough of a feel from that write-up to say, I'm going to go check them out. I think the fun thing about that, and I think Mike and his writers really, really uh, had fun doing those, was kind of like, you'll dig if you dig. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the way they would they would describe the sound of the band, you know, and, and the one who had the most fun with that was Brian Baker. He wrote the most outrageous stuff about, you know, this is a combination of a polyphonic spree, we're tripping out on acid, listening to Iggy Pop's Younger, just all kinds of crazy stuff to just kind of, I think he kind of did that to mess with people's heads, but, but Brian Baker was, you know, you need to have him on your show someday. That, that, that guy is just a treasure chest of, of uh, knowledge when it comes to music. But um, that was the fun part. And then you, you took those write-ups and you kind of mapped out your schedule. And most people's schedule went to shit about one hour in when they landed at a club and liked the band. And then Somebody said, "Well, we're going over here to see these guys," and next thing you know, you're 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 off schedule. But that that's what made it fun. Seeing it felt like literally you were in downtown Austin during Midpoint Music Festival. Mm -hmm. it, it was vibrant. There was energy like you could never feel before. And some of those early days when we had Dinosaur Junior play and the earlier iteration of Heartless Bastards and that uh, Tent by Grammars and the Joy Formidable, just just some amazing bands that, that Dan was able to snag and, and bring into the larger venues as well as the smaller clubs. You know, the, the, it, it, it's so enjoyable to be able to go and I'm, I'm so looking forward to being able to set foot into, you know, Motor and the Southgate House and, and some of these more intimate venues. The, the acronym's escaping me now, but the organization that, that's, trying to, that's trying to support these local independent venues. Neva, Neva. National Independent yeah. Venue Association, or you can just go yeah. to Save Our Stages. Yeah, that's such a worthy cause. I mean, the the, the best experiences, you know, I think is, is in getting older, if you will, is being in those intimate environments and, and thinking, God, there's, there's so many people who are missing out on something really awesome right now. Uh, I think right out of college was the, the first exposure that I had to Waxy in the early to mid 80s. And then I moved to California for 10 years and discovered a similarly named station called 91X. Mm -hmm. And all they played was alternative music and that's Lingo Boingo, Jane's Addiction, all the all that classic new wave stuff is where I really cut my teeth. And then, you know, when I moved back to Ohio in 94, you know, I, I just immediately embraced uh, Waxy and, 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 you know, the playlists and the artists that you championed and, and obviously the, the, you know, the, the secret sauce to you guys at that station was the, the curating of the music, you know, that the trust that was placed in you to find the really good stuff to present to your listeners. And and that's what set you apart from, you know, the program and the more corporate alternative stations is 
you were not only a cut above, you guys were like five cuts above. It was the the playlist from, from your station over the years. I would stack up to anything in the country over the history of time. You guys were head and shoulders above everybody else. And kudos to you for bringing that music to us Cincinnatians. Well, I'm going to give credit to Doug Baylog for that because, again, it's his vision from the, the, the start. And, and as you said, he protected the brand and, and, and knew what was going to work and, and stuck to his guns. Yep. Dan, it's been so great catching up with you. We thank you, and we look forward to catching up with you in person post-pandemic at three shows a week. Likewise, Damien. Good to see you guys both. 97X. My mom's not going to let me go. You don't ask your parents for permission to rock. Rumblings from the Big Bush. 